Despite their numbers, the crowd did not come close to filling the square. Along the edges, people jostled each other in a milling mass, all going about their day's business, but closer to the tower grounds there were ever fewer people, until a band of bare paving stones at least fifty paces wide bordered the tall white walls. Aes Sedai were respected and more in Tarvalin, of course, and the Amerlin seat ruled the city as she ruled the Aes Sedai, but few wanted to be closer to Aes Sedai power than they had to. There was a difference between being proud of a grand fireplace in your hall and walking into the flames. A very few did go closer to the broad stairs that led up to the tower itself, to the intricately carved doors wide enough for a dozen people abreast. Those doors stood open, welcoming. There were always some people in need of aid or an answer they thought only Aes Sedai could give, and they came from far as often as near, from Arafel and Gildan, from Saldeia and Ilion. Many would find help or guidance inside, though often not what they had expected or hoped for. Min kept the wide hood of her cloak pulled up, shadowing her face in its depths. In spite of the warmth of the day, the garment was light enough not to attract comment, not on a woman so obviously shy. And a good many people were shy when they went to the tower. There was nothing about her to attract notice. Her dark hair was longer than when she was last in the tower, though still not quite to her shoulders, and her dress, plain blue except for narrow bands of white Jericho's lace at neck and wrists, would have suited the daughter of a well-to-do farmer, wearing her feast-day best to the tower just like the other women approaching the wide stairs. Min hoped she looked the same, at least. She had to stop herself from staring at them to see if they walked or held themselves differently. I can do it, she told herself. She had certainly not come all this way to turn back now. The dress was a good disguise. Those who remembered her in the tower remembered a young woman with close-cropped hair, always in a boy's coat and breeches, never in a dress. It had to be a good disguise. She had no choice about what she was doing, not really. Her stomach fluttered the closer she came to the tower, and she tightened her grip on the bundle clutched to her breast. Her usual clothes were in there, and her good boots, and all her possessions except the horse she had left at an inn not far from the square. With luck, she would be back on the gelding in a few hours, riding for the Austrain Bridge and the road south. She was not really looking forward to climbing onto a horse again so soon, not after weeks in the saddle with never a day's pause, but she longed to leave this place. She had never seen the White Tower as hospitable, and right now it seemed nearly as awful as the Dark One's prison at Sheol Ghoul. Shivering, she wished she had not thought of the Dark One. I wonder if Moiraine thinks I came just because she asked me. The light helped me, acting like a fool girl, doing fool things because of a fool man. She mounted the stairs uneasily, each was deep enough to take two strides for her to reach the next, and unlike most of the others, she did not pause for an awed stare up the pale height of the tower. She wanted this over. Inside, archways almost surrounded the large, round entry hall, but the petitioners huddled in the middle of the chamber, shuffling together beneath a flat-domed ceiling. The pale stone floor had been worn and polished by countless nervous feet over the centuries. No one thought of anything except where they were and why. A farmer and his wife in rough woolens, clutching each other's calloused hands, rubbed shoulders with a merchant in velvet-slashed silks, 
a maid at her heels clutching a small worked silver casket, no doubt her mistress's gift for the tower. Elsewhere the merchant would have stared down her nose at farm folk who brushed so close, and they might well have knuckled their foreheads and backed away apologizing. Not now, not here. There were few men among the petitioners, which was no surprise to Min. Most men were nervous around Aes Sedai. Everyone knew it had been male Aes Sedai when there still had been male Aes Sedai who were responsible for the breaking of the world. Three thousand years had not dimmed that memory, even if time had altered many of the details. Children were still frightened by tales of men who could channel the One Power, men doomed to go mad from the Dark One's taint on Sidene, the male half of the true source. Worst was the story of Luz Theron Telamon, the dragon, Luz Theron Kinslayer, who had begun the breaking. For that matter, the stories frightened adults, too. Prophecy said the dragon would be born again in mankind's greatest hour of need, to fight the Dark One in Tarman Gaiden, the last battle. But that made little difference in how most people looked at any connection between men and the power. Any Aes Sedai would hunt down a man who could channel now. Of the seven Ajahs, the Red did little else. Of course, none of that had anything to do with seeking help from Aes Sedai, yet few men felt easy about being linked in any way to Aes Sedai and the power. Few, that is, except warders. But each warder was bonded to an Aes Sedai. Warders could hardly be taken for the general run of men. There was a saying, A man will cut off his own hand to get rid of a splinter before asking help from Aes Sedai. Women meant it as a comment on men's stubborn foolishness, but men had heard some men say the loss of a hand might be the better decision. She wondered what these people would do if they knew what she knew. Run screaming, perhaps. And if they knew her reason for being here, she might not survive to be taken up by the tower guards and thrown into a cell. She did have friends in the tower, but none with power or influence. If her purpose was discovered, it was much less likely that they could help her than that she would pull them to the gallows or the headsman behind her. That was saying she lived to be tried, of course. More likely her mouth would be stopped permanently long before a trial. She told herself to stop thinking like that. I'll make it in, and I'll make it out. The light burn, Randall Thor, for getting me into this. Three or four accepted, women men's age or perhaps a little older, were circulating through the round room, speaking softly to the petitioners. Their white dresses had no decoration except for seven bands of color at the hem, one band for each Aja. Now and again a novice, a still younger woman or girl all in white, came to lead someone deeper into the tower. The petitioners always followed the novices with an odd mix of excited eagerness and foot-dragging reluctance. Min's grip tightened on her bundle as one of the accepted stopped in front of her. The light illumine you, the curly-haired woman said perfunctorily. I'm called Fayolaine. How may the tower help you? Fayolaine's dark round face held the patience of someone doing a tedious job when she would rather be doing something else. Studying, probably, from what men knew of the accepted, learning to be eyes Sedai. Most important, however, was the lack of recognition in the accepted's eyes. The two of them had met when Min was in the tower before, though only briefly. Just the same, Min lowered her face in assumed diffidence. 
It was not unnatural. A good many country folk did not really understand the great step up from accepted to full eyes Sedai. Shielding her features behind the edge of her cloak, she looked away from Fairlane. I have a question I must ask the Amerlin seat, she began, then cut off abruptly as three eyes Sedai stopped to look into the entry hall, two from one archway and one from another. Accepted and novices curtsied when their rounds took them close to one of the eyes Sedai, but otherwise went on about their tasks, perhaps a trifle more briskly. That was all. Not so for the petitioners. They seemed to catch their breaths altogether. Away from the White Tower, away from Tarvalin, they might simply have thought the eyes Sedai three women whose ages they could not guess, three women in the flush of their prime, yet with more maturity than their smooth cheeks suggested. In the tower, though, there was no question. A woman who had worked very long with the one power was not touched by time in the same way as other women. In the tower, no one needed to see a golden great serpent ring to know an Aes Sedai. A ripple of curtsies spread through the huddle and jerky bows from the few men. Two or three people even fell to their knees, the rich merchant looked frightened. The farm couple at her side stared at legends come to life. How to deal with Aes Sedai was a matter of hearsay for most. It was unlikely that any here, except those who actually lived in Tarvalin, had seen an Aes Sedai before, and probably not even the Tarvaliners had been this close. But it was not the Aes Sedai themselves that halted Min's tongue. Sometimes, not often, she saw things when she looked at people, images and auras that usually flared and were gone in moments. Occasionally she...